People will claim from time to time that they've discovered the truth about Jesus, that they've uncovered some kind of hidden information, some kind of ancient secret that disproves the story of Jesus as told in the New Testament. But how can they be sure that what they've supposedly uncovered isn't just another story? How can they be sure they found the truth? I'll be back in just a moment to talk about that on today's episode of The Voice of Prophecy. You know, every so often I come across people who claim that the world's two billion Christians somehow have been deceived, that the real historical Jesus wasn't anything like the Jesus you read about in the Bible. And sometimes these people manage to get enough attention that they can stir up a lot of controversy, which of course also means that sometimes they make a lot of money. So, for example, consider a really well-known example, a book and movie that swept through our world just a few years ago, Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code. Even though the book was clearly labeled fiction in the bookstore, and even though the plot kind of reads like a bad conspiracy theory, and even though perfectly secular historians were actually embarrassed by the misuse and restructuring of actual history, that book still did manage to cause some people to doubt their Christian faith. So, today I want to ask this question, is it possible that Christians are wrong, that we bought into some kind of sinister plot? Is it possible Jesus was just an ordinary human being? Is it possible he didn't even die on a cross, that he, he actually survived that and he started a family with Mary Magdalene? Is it possible that his top-secret bloodline has been a carefully guarded secret ever since? Is it possible that the real Christianity is a secret society and the rest of us have been left with nothing but a clever fairy tale? You know, even when you say this stuff out loud, it, it sounds a little bit silly. It's obviously a work of fiction. Except that Dan Brown's work actually appears to be based on a more serious book written a few years earlier by some authors who really meant this stuff and really believed it, or at least that's the way they make it look. The earlier book was called Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and the authors were a couple of guys by the name of Bajent and Lee. Those are their last names. And you might have seen their book kicking around the used bookstore in maybe one of the more obscure corners. The premise of Holy Blood, Holy Grail um, resembles the Da Vinci Code, and it bears such a resemblance to the Da Vinci Code that the authors actually took Dan Brown to court for copyright law, copyright infringement. Now, ultimately, they lost the case because I guess Dan Brown had dramatized their theory, which is a legitimate art form. But the influence from their book is undeniable. Even a lead character in the Da Vinci Code is a guy by the name of Lee Teabing which is the letters in these guys' last two names all mixed up to make a new name. It's an anagram. And if that were the only coincidence, that'd be one thing. But the premise is essentially the same. The premise in Holy Blood was essentially the same premise as the Da Vinci Code. Lee and Bajan said, look, Jesus stayed on earth and had a family with Mary Magdalene. And these guys seem like they're serious about this. They really believe it. They said the children of Jesus supposedly made their way to southern France where they intermarried with local nobles and created the famous Merovingian dynasty. And they say that's the supposed descendants of Jesus, his family to this day. Now, as you would expect, as they explain this whole theory, there's a secret society in the mix. There always has to be a secret society. And this one is a clandestine group known as the Priory of Science. 
Now, you can tell, probably you can tell, that I'm a bit of a cynic. And my first instinct is to say that Lee and Bajent were just following the dollar. They were trying to stir up controversy so they could make a buck. But when you glance through the book, you get the idea that, hey, these guys are serious. They might actually believe this. And I've got to give them credit. They did a lot of work to build their case. It's just that the book had limited circulation and people didn't really care about what they said. And, and people who do care about Jesus found the book so completely at odds with the biblical record that they didn't care for the book either. So it didn't make big, big waves. But then came the Da Vinci Code and the movie that followed the Da Vinci Code, and suddenly you had a lot of people questioning the history we've always been told in church. Suddenly, you had people wondering if there isn't more than one version of Christianity. And maybe we have the wrong one. You even have nominal Christians now exploring other versions of Jesus, alternate histories of the man from Galilee. And some of those ideas have started to make their way into the outer edges of the Christian world. And frankly, Dan Brown and Lee and Bajent aren't the only ones selling these new ideas. There seems to be no shortage of theories for a mind that wants to wander away from what the Bible says, to go away from the tried and true. Let, let me give you another example. On YouTube, there's this movie sensation. It's called Zeitgeist. And this might be the mother of all conspiracy theories because it connects the dots between just about everything that's ever happened in world history. I mean, this is a doozy. They tie world-changing events like 9-11 to an international banking conspiracy, and then they tie it to the story of Jesus. And when they get to Jesus, the producers of this film claim he was nothing but a retelling of pagan mythology. Now, they didn't come up with this idea. They borrowed that from some of the skeptics who tried to sell us that story in the 1800s. But judging by the number of views that this movie has gotten, a lot of people are now paying attention to this idea. This idea that Jesus never even existed, at least not the Jesus you read about in the Bible. They say he's an absolute concoction. Now, th this movie is popular enough that we should probably examine some of the claims that it makes. They're saying Jesus is just pagan mythology retold and that Jesus is just as mythological as all the pagan gods. So, for example, the movie claims, look, Jesus wasn't born on the 25th of December, and it says we borrowed that date from pagan mythology. And what gets me is that they're saying this as if Christians believe that Jesus was born on the 25th of December. And most of us, thinking Christians, know he wasn't. We've always known that wasn't the day he was born. We've known he wasn't actually born on Christmas Day. Historically, we know we borrowed that date from pagan religions that worshipped the sun. This isn't a surprise. We've known this for centuries. We did. We repurposed a pagan festival. The fact is we got December 25 from people who watched the days get shorter and shorter in the winter solstice. And the ancient pagans used to mourn the death of the sun as the days got shorter. And so they engaged in all sorts of rituals to try and bring the sun back. And, and then they would celebrate his return. That's where we get December 25. And it gets mixed into traditional Christianity in the city of Rome. When the Roman Empire officially becomes a Christian empire under Constantine, and this is in the 4th century, a lot of the pagan rituals and holidays they used to have were now whitewashed to give them Christian meaning. And December 25th appears to have made it through. So yeah, it, it's true. As far as the movie goes on this point, it's true. December 25 is a pagan date. But does that shake my faith in the Jesus of the New Testament? Not one bit. 
In fact, you'll notice that the New Testament never gives us a date for the birth of Jesus. So the makers of the film might be arguing with a Christian tradition, but they are not, not arguing with the Bible. And if there's one thing that Christians are historically sure of, it's that Jesus wasn't born that day. In fact, he was probably born in the spring when shepherds were more likely to be out watching their sheep by night, exactly the way the Bible says it happened. So really, that point is kind of silly. Pagans did observe that date, and Christians did start using it for the birth of Christ. But that doesn't kill my faith, because that is not part of the Bible's story. So let's move on, because the movie actually makes another claim that's a little more troubling. And this one's been making the rounds on the internet, so I want you to understand what's behind it, and what the truth of it is. They say that the whole story of Mary and Jesus, this story of the virgin birth, they say, look, that's just a rehash of the Egyptian story of Isis and Horus. They were mother and son. So the conspiracy theory, the, the version they tell goes something like this. They say, Horus was born of a virgin. He had 12 disciples. He was crucified and rose from the dead three days later. And on top of all of that, he was born on the 25th of December. Now, I know people who come across this on the internet, and it kind of disturbs them. It's kind of unsettling. Because the odds that Horus and Jesus would have so much in common just by coincidence, well, it's next to nothing. It's not likely that it's a coincidence. And sure enough, as people look at this, some people's confidence in the Bible it starts to be shaken by these so-called startling revelations. Except for the fact that absolutely none of this is true. It's all made up. Horus was not born of a virgin. They made that up. People need to do their research. He wasn't born of a virgin, and the account of Horus's birth contains elements that would make for very poor family broadcasting. So I'll spare you the graphic details, but it does not match the birth of Jesus. And that bit about Horus having 12 disciples, also made up. It's not true. And Horus being crucified? Come on. When the story of Horus was popular, when everybody was telling it, crucifixion hadn't even been invented. It didn't exist. And in most of the ancient stories, Horus never even dies. Look, when you're on the internet, it pays to do a little bit of fact-checking because here's the truth about those religious claims made in the Zeitgeist movie. It is made up. It pays no attention to historical fact. And I guess the best way to sell a good conspiracy theory is to just weave enough truth into it to make it seem plausible. Put the names of real people in your story, and it sounds like it might have actually happened. Build your case around real historical events, or at least allude to those events, and people might listen. Build your fiction on a thin foundation of semi-verifiable facts, and some people are bound to believe what you're saying. And in this case, the makers of the film took very slight similarities between old Egyptian stories and the Bible... And they used elements you can find in almost any good story, and then they built on all that and gave us an exciting but completely fabricated story. But what's the harm, right? It's just good fun. Nobody's hurt by a little bit of storytelling. Except that the clear intent of this film is to discredit Christianity. And that's an activity that seems increasingly popular in Western society. And what I want to ask is why? Why is there so much hatred for the God of the Bible? Why 
why is there this keen interest in discarding the Jesus of the New Testament? Why would someone deliberately create doubt about one of the key foundations to our whole way of life? Why would somebody make up stories about Jesus? Why would they deliberately shake our confidence when there appears to be so much at stake if you ignore the claims of the Bible? These are big questions. So I'm going to take a quick break and then I'll come right back. And I think you're going to want to stick around because honestly, you owe it to yourself to hear what we're going to talk about next. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Can God really forgive me? And how can I have peace and assurance in my day-to-day life? Are you searching for answers to these and other of life's biggest questions? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or pick up the phone and call 888-456-7922 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free lessons mailed right to your home. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. You know, books like The Da Vinci Code, movies like Zeitgeist, these are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the never-ending flood of biblical criticism, or more accurately, biblical fiction. You've got Hugh Sconfield's Passover plot, which came out in 1965, and that claims Jesus never actually died on the cross. He says, it's all just this grand conspiracy theory designed to make it look like Jesus died so he could claim to be Messiah. And if I remember this right, I'm going by memory here, the theory was that Jesus was drugged to make it look like he was dead, and then his disciples took the body somewhere else and revived him. And if that wasn't the plot in the Passover plot, it was some other conspiracy theory that was popular at the time. And of course, if we're going to talk about the 1960s, you've got Chariots of the Gods, Eric Van Daniken, this theory that says God didn't create this world, he was just an alien who visited the world in the ancient distant past. In a more recent history, we've got Ken Humphreys, this, this guy who claims that the whole gospel story was literally made up by the Romans in order to control the Jews. Now, that one really hasn't gotten a lot of traction because it's just so ludicrous. And this whole idea kind of blows my mind because, quite obviously, Christianity and Judaism have always gotten along together very well over the last 2,000 years, right? Not at all. I mean, this is just a stupid theory. If Christianity is a plot to derail the Jews, it's got to be the worst plot in history because they didn't buy into Christianity, not a lot of them, and there's still two groups. And of course, I guess you might say the theory was, well, it's divide and conquer. If the Romans turn the Jews on against themselves with a splinter religion, then they're easier to deal with, right? Weakened. But does that really make sense? The, the Jews were the biggest threat to the Roman Empire? Come on, give me a break. The Romans had far bigger problems up to the north with the barbarians. And frankly, it was the Romans who adopted Christianity in the end, not the children of Israel. I mean, it was an Israelite faith, Christianity. All the early converts were Jews, but it was the Romans who adopted it. What kind of a plot is this? This is just another desperate attempt to make it seem like Jesus isn't real. Another attempt to prove that God has no claim on your life. And unfortunately, it's not just outsiders who are now jumping on this Jesus isn't what you were told he is bandwagon. We've got some people inside Christianity, so-called theologians like Bart Ehrman at the University of North Carolina, who tells us the gospel accounts aren't accurate. 
He's written books suggesting that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John can't be trusted, and that 21st century scholars are better at telling the life of Jesus than the people who actually knew him. And you've got others like Elaine Pagels at Princeton who wants us to believe that once upon a time the Gnostic Gospels were of equal value or even greater value than the four Gospels you have. And of course, we've also got the infamous Jesus Seminar, which spent its time in the 80s and 90s trying to vote about which words in the Gospels are authentic and which words aren't. And it goes on and on and on and on. And it used to be if you wanted to stumble across this kind of thinking, you had to be at some ultra-liberal seminary or you had to find it in the dusty corners of an obscure bookshop. But now with the internet, it's everywhere. It's easier than ever to come across this stuff. And now people just release their obscure theory into the wild and they let it run its course. And the sad thing is, most of the victims are people who are ill-equipped to respond to the charges because we just don't know the Bible like we used to, and we don't know our own Christian history like we used to. Now, of course, if you sign up for our free Bible course, we can help you change that. But, you know, I, I practically weep when I see so many people falling for this stuff. And I guess that attacks on the Bible are nothing new. That's been going on since the very beginning. As long as there have been Christians, we've had people who tried to pull religion apart. People have mocked the crucifixion. They said it didn't matter. They say it didn't happen. They say only crazy people believe this. It's always been this way. In fact, by the Palatine Hill in Rome, there's an example of some very old graffiti, ancient, designed to make fun of people who believe in the resurrection. It's a picture of a man with a donkey's head hanging on a cross, and obviously they're making fun of Jesus. And below the cross is this Roman soldier who obviously respects Christ, and the inscription says, Alexa Minos worships his God. They're making fun of Christians. Somebody drew that to make fun of the Christian church way back in the early centuries. So the practice of questioning the history of the cross is very old. In fact, in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, it's obvious he met with a lot of resistance when he tried to tell people about the death and resurrection of Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The cross has always been unpopular. It's never been an easy thing for people to accept. God came to this earth in human form, and we killed him. More than that, his followers say he rose from the dead. And when Paul preached that to his Gentile audience, a lot of them refused to believe because no god they knew of would allow himself to die like that. I mean, spit on, hanging on a cross like a worthless criminal? What would be the sense of that? And you know, the Jewish audience, they didn't like it either because Messiah is supposed to sit on the throne of David and deliver his people from the Romans. He doesn't get taken outside the city walls to die a horrific death. Look, the cross has always been a tough sell. But from where I sit, the biggest objection to the cross isn't even the shame and scandal of it, even though that's part of the equation. I actually think there's something more going on because 2,000 years later, people are still trying to pick it apart, trying to make it go away. Now, if you really believe that the story of Jesus is nothing more than a fairy tale, then why all this effort to discredit it? I mean, unless you're trying to make a dollar, why does Jesus make you angry? Why do you fight this so hard? Let's just slow down and ask a really important question. I mean, who in their right mind wouldn't want this story to be true? Why wouldn't you want a God who forgives your sins and conquers death? Why wouldn't you want a God who promises to wipe away your tears and suffering? A God who promises to fix what's wrong with this world? 
I remember visiting with a guy in Italy who came to hear me preach more than 20 nights in a row. And when we came to the end of the meetings, he said, look, Sean, how do we even know Jesus was real? What evidence do we have that he ever existed? Now, you might think he was just a skeptic, but I happen to know he was one of the biggest New Age practitioners in the country. So this isn't a guy who's just strictly secular. He believes in the supernatural, and he actually believes stuff I can't believe. And I thought about this. You don't go listen to a preacher for 20 nights in a row if you don't think there's something to it. So I pulled out my Bible. I said, look, I can understand that you're skeptical, but let me ask you one question. Do you hope this book is true or do you hope it's not? And that's when there was suddenly a tear in his eye. He says, well, I'd be a fool not to want to believe that. And he's right. I mean, let's think about this honestly. Even the most hardened skeptic Almost all of them say that something happened in the first century that revolutionized the world. Even people who say Jesus isn't God, even people who say he never rose from the dead, they still think that his disciples believed it. And that's what I want to talk about next. So just hang in there. I'm coming right back. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Are you searching for answers to some of life's biggest questions? The Discover Bible Guides can help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or call us at 888-456-7922 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Today we're talking about the historical account of Jesus you find in the Gospels, and if I had more time, we could go through hundreds of reasons you should be taking another look. But what I really want to ask is why some people don't want to believe it. If it's true, if somebody has come back from the dead, how could that possibly be bad news? Even some of the most skeptical scholars will admit a few important things about the four Gospels. There's almost no doubt among serious scholars that Jesus was real. We've got as much evidence for that as we have for any other ancient historical figure. In fact, we have more. And there's no doubt the disciples believed he came back from the dead. Something profound happened that changed these people. There's no denying that. So you can say there was no resurrection, but they said there was, every single one of them. People can say all they want the Bible reads like mythology, but it doesn't. The style, the genre of the New Testament is not mythology. It reads more like history books of the first century. So whatever you want to believe about the authors of the Bible, it would seem that they really believed this happened. They really believed that a man named Jesus was crucified and came back from the dead. So that much we can all agree on. Someone might say that all those people were mistaken, but they can't say they didn't believe it. I mean, if you were going to make up a new religion, Think about this. Why would you invent that story? Why would you put your God on a cross? Why would you make your religion the toughest sell in the history of religion? Because at the end of the day, I mean, real Christianity is a pretty tough pill to swallow. It's counterintuitive. It tells you that up is down, that the path to greatness is humility, that the way to life is death. It asks you to forsake everything, put aside your ambition and your pride, and, and put aside your own life and pick up a cross. That's not the kind of religion you invent. That's not the kind of religion you die for. Not unless you believe it. And maybe that's what's driving the criticism. Maybe that's what's behind the relentless need to discredit Jesus. If the story is true, and I am absolutely convinced it is, 
If the story is true, what does it mean for you? What would it mean if you're not the center of the universe? Would it mean that God's other claims are also true? Would it mean that you are a sinner? Would it mean that what Jesus said is true? You need him. Think about this. What logical reason is there to not want Jesus to be real? He's offering you the universe. He's offering a way to beat suffering and hopelessness and death. So if the resurrection is true, even if there's a chance that it's true, you owe it to yourself to have another look. So put the other books down for a moment. Log off the internet and just read the Bible. Read what those people wrote. I think you're going to discover why millions of people believe it. And you're going to discover that you don't have to suspend your logic to believe this yourself. And I guess for today I'm running out of time, but this is my challenge to you. Just read it. Please read it. You might find there's a very good reason so many people come away with hope for the future. Just forget about what people say about Jesus. Go to the original sources. Listen to the people who knew him. And to help you with that, I'm going to make a gift available to you in just a moment. So I want you to stick around long enough to get the information you need. Look, Paul not only said that the message of the cross was challenging to preach, he not only told us that some audiences struggled to accept it, he also said there's someone out there that doesn't want you to hear it. If our gospel is veiled, Paul says, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Let me ask you, what's being hidden from you? What exactly is it that makes some people so afraid? Why is it they'll come up with some story, any story, to steer you away from those four short historical books in the New Testament? What is it they don't want you to see? I think you owe it to yourself to find out. So I want to help you get started. And I want you to stick around long enough for the information that you need. You can have our Discover Bible course absolutely free. And until we meet again right here next time, I want to thank you for listening. I'm Sean Boonstra. You've been listening to The Voice of Prophecy. Are you searching for answers to life's most challenging questions? Answers to help you make sense of the chaos in today's world. Answers to the deepest questions in life, like, how can I know that Jesus was real? Was he more than a man? And how do I even know the stories of his time on earth are true? How can I know that the Bible is something that I can believe today? And questions like, if the Bible is true, well, what happens next after this life? Is there really a heaven? And in this world of uncertainty, you might be wondering, is there actually a chance for true happiness in this life? Disappointments like illness and loss of employment can hang like clouds over our lives. Life's daily, routine challenges can be overwhelming, and even the things that once made us happy can begin to seem empty. Is it really possible to have a happy, contented life in such an uncertain world? Well, if you're searching for answers to these and other of life's biggest questions, we are here to help. The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at our toll-free number, 888-456-7922 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online at our website, BibleStudies.com, or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. 
At BibleStudies.com, you will find the Discover Bible Guides in nearly 50 languages, including Spanish, Japanese, Tagalog, and Russian. Now, this is a great resource for the family member or friend that you know is looking for answers but struggles with English. At BibleStudies.com, click on the interactive world map and find the language that you're looking for. At BibleStudies.com, you'll find answers in guides like A Second Chance at Life and Does My Life Really Matter to God? Answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. The major themes of the Bible come to life as we study together guides like When Jesus Comes for You and From Guilty Sinner to Forgiven Saint. And we have lessons just for the kids in your life. Your kids will love KidZone at BibleStudies.com. They'll enjoy the colorfully illustrated stories and interactive lessons in the 14 KidZone Bible Guides. And while you're online, be sure to visit us at VOP.com. At VOP.com, you'll find audio archives of this program, the latest ministry news, and resources to help you dig deep into God's Word. Begin your journey to discover answers to life's deepest questions and log on today to BibleStudies.com.